Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello and welcome to a very interesting episode of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Other than all the action on the pitch, there is so much to talk about from off the pitch. I think you'll agree with me, Ayaz, that this is going to be one of those slightly non-sporting issue uh, episodes. What do you think? Yeah, Mr. Fantastic, this has been a tumultuous week, if I might put it that, the past week. Uh, we've seen so much happening in Indian cricket. We've seen so much happening in the world of tennis. Uh, largely, of course, the Australian Open. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this has been quite unprecedented, what we've been seeing in the past seven days. So, this, this, this should be some, you know, some discussion that we have. So, let's start off with the action on the pitch, get that out of the way. You know, it's almost become secondary. Uh, the fact that India lost a series they should have won quite easily. The nature of the loss actually, I think, leaves most fans very disappointed. Uh, we lost... Two test matches defending what you typically expect to defend, especially given the kind of bowling attack that we had. Uh, but is the bigger problem here the fact that we set very small targets? Well, most certainly. I think we batted way below par. And especially against a South African team which didn't look strong at the start of the series, lost the first match by a big margin. And at that point in time, most people, including me, thought that uh, you know India would win 3-0. But, in fact, it turned out to be 1-2 and South Africa won the series. So, this has been a remarkable performance by South Africa, taking nothing away from what they've been able to achieve. But, it's been a a disappointing, underwhelming performance by India, especially in the batting. The bowlers did well. I I won't say they did did brilliantly because if they had, uh, India would have won the series. And I'll explain why. Because in, in the two matches that India lost, in the second innings of both matches, the, the, the bowlers seemed to run out of steam a bit. South, South Africa won by seven wickets in the second match and by seven wickets in the, in the last game. And both times, both times batting fourth, when you would expect uh, you know, the, the, the conditions to be worse off for the batsmen. But they managed it and that's largely because India couldn't send them decent enough scores. 240, 223, 211. These are not scores that you can win test matches however hard your bowlers might try. In fact, you don't give your bowlers too much to defend. So, I think if if I have to kind of pick one big reason or the biggest reason why India lost, I think it has to be the batting. And we all know, uh, you know, the, the batting has been India's uh, weak spot, vulnerable spot for the past two years at least in international cricket, whether especially playing overseas whether it's been in New Zealand, in England, against New Zealand, in England, and now, of course, against against South Africa. Absolutely. And, you know, just to further go deeper into that whole batting failure, in the first test, a century by KL Rahul kind of helped gloss over the failures of the middle order to some extent. But in the second and third tests, he also failed. And... Do you think there's a need for a complete overall? I mean, we know what's the whole chatter around Cheteshwar, Pujara, Ajinkya Rahane. They've probably pay, played their last test matches for India. Virat Kohli is no longer the captain and we'll talk a lot about that after. But he's no longer the captain. So he's clearly focused on cementing that number four slot and making his own. Mayank Agarwal doesn't look like an opener, especially overseas. And after Virat, there is directly a Rishabh Pant and a Hanuma Vihari. And... I think we're missing an all-rounder as well. What do you think? 
Oh, I think so too. I think, you know, somebody like a Hardik Pandya in his pomp uh, would have been an ideal guy to have in the South Africa test matches because you needed a fast bowler and somebody who could bat. Uh, you know, your batting strength would have got enhanced. It didn't happen. So, I think you know, there are many ifs and buts, but the biggest cause, if I have to ask, uh, if I have to answer, would be the batting. It starts with, of course, uh, Pujara and Rahane and they've been pilloried a lot. And Frankly, even uh, Virat, he had a the last match, he played a sublime inning, 79 in the first innings. But overall, he was not the authoritative batsman that we know or we have seen uh, Virat Kohli. So, a little better than what he looked earlier in the year, but still not in best form. And that's where I think India struggled because KL Rahul's form kind of faded away after the first test or, or after three innings. The first test match, he looked extremely good. He made a century, he made another half century after that. And then he, you know, he just kind of fizzled out. Mayank Agarwal, one good half century, good partnership with Rahul. And then he fizzled out. And Pant, to an extent, or to a large extent, redeemed himself by making a century in the last last innings that India played. But earlier, you know, there were acts of indiscretion, which, you know, many people thought might actually cost him his place in the team. So that didn't happen. The tail didn't wag. Uh, or didn't wag enough to justify the inclusion of Ashwin as well as Shardul Thakur in the belief that they could provide runs. They didn't. So, overall, this was a, you know, it was a surprisingly poor performance by by India, especially after taking a 1-0 lead. And in a sense, it reminded me of the 2006-07 series when India had toured South Africa, had won the first test match, lost the next two. But those days, South Africa had Graham Smith, Jack Collins, Dale Stain, A.B. De Villiers, Sean Pollock. Sean Pollock. I mean, you know. So, this team was not anywhere at that level. But having said that, let me say that South Africa produced some of the best performances in batting and bowling. You had Kagizo Rabada taking 20 wickets in the series. You had Ngidi, Lungi Ngidi, who always does well somehow against India, picking up 15. But for me, the pick of the bowlers was Marcus Hansen, you know, made his test debut in the series, picked up 19 wickets and troubled every Indian batsman. In fact, his bowling to Virat Kohli in the last innings was just superb to watch because somebody like Virat was completely bottled up, given no runs. He couldn't hit the ball off the square. And that you don't see often. He made 29, but he took like two and a half hours to make 29. So, uh, you know, that really told on the mind or the mindsets of the Indians in the dressing room. And that's where we lost the series. I mean, maybe 70-80 runs more. You know, the thing is, they may have won by seven wickets, but if the the challenge was there, to, the pressure to, was there to score maybe 60-70 runs more, the batsmen react differently. And the bowlers react differently because they know they got something to defend. And then the South African batting. I think Keegan Peterson emerged not just as a hero in this series, but as one of the sparkling batting talents in the world. Uh, you know, he made three half-centuries and then terrific technique and the ability to play strokes which, you know, one thought would be coming. Yeah, he was a pleasure to watch, wasn't he? He wasn't just one of those fiddling around. And remember, he was 28. He had played two or three tests before this. So, it was a very inexperienced... And remember, Quentin Decock quit after the first test suddenly. So, that was a massive blow for South Africa. But having said all that, they just pulled off a shocker and due credit must come uh, accrue to them. 
And I would particularly want to credit Dean Elgar. He led from the front. He is gutsy. He is never say die. And he's got such a calm temperament. He got he had nothing to face him. You know, he just and this is what you expect from a team which is the underdog. And you know, how do you pull the rug from under the ground of the favorites? This is how uh, Dean Elgar showed it could be done. Absolutely. I mean, Rahul Dravid in his first major series already has a lot of head scratching to do and uh, he's literally got to rebuild the team with a new captain who that is is a whole other issue but before we jump into that virat kohli stepping down seemed more a reaction than a planned move what do you think do you have any more info for us i think it was a you know planned move i think that irrespective of the result i mean obviously uh, he would have loved to go out on a on a triumphant note but i think he had made up his mind to quit from the captaincy even if india had won the test series uh, it's unfortunate that he missed the second test and it, it is always debatable whether he would have made a difference in that match he could have but we have to give south africa uh, credit for pulling off that win too you know making 240 to win uh, and they did it but virat i think there's been lot there's been lots happening in indian cricket uh, uh, off the field over the past 4 5 months the narrative as it has panned out or as it has unfolded uh, or the drama you know he quits from the t20 captaincy the odi captaincy is taken away from him then he comes and resigns from the uh, from the test captaincy it's not something that these these are not just knee jerk reactions so there's something going on or has been going on certainly behind the scenes uh, exactly what we don't know but i can tell you for instance uh if you see the instagram instagram post that anushka sharma put up after he retired or resigned from the captaincy and and you know she indicates that despite all that was going on you you held on to your job and you did it proudly and and stuff like that but it does tell you that something was going on and you know i also it doesn't take rocket science to believe that see nobody gives up a captaincy so easily uh it's not something that you just chuck up it's a great honor it's great prestige uh, it's something that you covet all your life and you don't just chuck it up unless you are at the end of your career and you say okay i've done enough and now i just want to extend my career by a couple of years and i'll just focus on batting so i think uh, something was obviously brewing and virat because he was also not for the past year making the kind of runs that he thought he would not winning matches that he thought india would win i think what really hurt him most is not the t20 world World Cup debacle, but India losing to New Zealand in the WTC final. I think that really, uh, because he's been such a, you know, he's given so much primacy to Test cricket, and that would have been a singular honor. So I think his own form has been bothering him, and I think he decided that, you know, hey, let me chuck up this thing rather than, you know, struggle more with the bat, and then they, you know, close another door on me, which is that he might be in the same same situation as Rahane and Pujara. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be an interesting couple of uh, weeks for Indian cricket. Uh, given Rohit Sharma was already named the white ball captain and he's not even touring, we're going to have a whole new captain for the rest of the ODIs in the limited over games. And we have to now wait and watch who India's new Test captain is likely to be. So very interesting times coming up. A rebuilding phase, like I said, and I think there couldn't have been a better better. to lead this than rahul dravid yeah i mean rahul dravid actually is is the coach he's not the selector the job now is for the on the court of the selectors and actually they have a headache this is fantastic because virat leaves behind a massive void as a captain because i'll tell you why 
because the capt- vice captain was Rohit Sharma and he's been unfit. You know, now the, the natural progression would have been that Rohit becomes the captain. Uh, but now there are doubts swirling in the establishment whether Rohit would be the best choice if he's going to play intermittently. If he's going to be so injury prone, then it does not help in rebuilding the team. I think that's the argument which is being bandied around. And this is a matter of concern for Rohit as well as the selectors. Then there is the option of KL Rahul, uh, who was who captained in the second test uh, in, the, in the series just, just concluded when Virat injured himself. Then Sunil Gavaskar threw up uh, you know, uh, an interesting proposition. He's saying, let's make Rishabh Pant the captain. Uh, his argument being that... I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. So, he's saying, look, in the past, there have been young captains. Pataudi is one he mentioned. Now, uh, Mansouli Khan Pataudi. And then, of course, I, you know, uh, remember, I mean, we all know, Kapil Dev was 24 when he became captain in India, won the World Cup. And Gavaskar's argument is that Rishabh Pant may end up becoming a far more responsible cricketer, adding to his natural flair and all that. So, he's a good choice. And then there is talk of uh, Ashwin. Because Ashwin, you know, the next year, year and a half, most of the matches are going to be played in India. And he's a certainty in Indian conditions. And he's got the experience. He's been there for 10 years. He's captain in IPL. Suddenly, also, there's Bumrah who's come up. And in a sense, you know, in the press conference before the ODIs, he said that he wouldn't mind being captain. And that's fair enough. Why would anybody mind? If you get the captaincy, why would anybody say no? So, now there are many options. But I think it's a... Critically, what's happening is that the team that needs to be rebuilt has to be built around a captain who might be there at least for a couple of years, which is where Rohit plays a very important role, if not longer, which is where somebody like Rahul or Rishabh Pant become important because they are much younger. And why I'm saying that the team needs, needs to be rebuilt is because looks like Pujara and Rahane are not going to find favour again with the selectors. And also, this might be the end of the road for Ishan Sharma and Umesh Yadav you know, who are also getting along, getting on in years 35, 36. So, this is a very crucial time, crucial stage in Indian cricket. You've got your most successful captain ever in Indian cricket history who's quit. He's not quit the game, but he's quit from the captaincy. So, there's obviously the dynamics in the dressing room. We don't know what they are. And we've got all kinds of possibilities as to who might be the next captain. So, there's a, there's a, it's a stage of some uncertainty. And I don't know how uh, they, the BCCI and the selectors are going to resolve it. But I think they need to do it quickly rather than wait for another month. And, you know, on the eve of the test series, which is going to come up in, against Sri Lanka in mid-Feb or third week of Feb, announce it then. I think the crucial factor, Mr. Fantastic, is going to be they'll take a detailed study on progress that Rohit has made, uh, where his injury is concerned. Because if Rohit is available, for even for a year, year and a half, two years, then he could be a good stopgap. He's the best stopgap captain. Absolutely. Well, let's see how that saga plays out. Meanwhile, um, across the world, a lot of cricket action going on, as you'd imagine. In the Ashes, England stayed true to form and completely collapsed in the fourth test match from a position of seeming strength, you know, from being about 60-odd for one, chasing... What seemed like an attainable total, it seemed they just got bored and wrapped up their innings for 124. What is going on here? I think it's, you know, in the immortal words of Steve Waugh, it's mental disintegration that England faced. And from from match one, actually, this was the last test which you're talking about, which they lost 
from a reasonably good start. They saved the fourth test match by by the skin of their teeth. Last over, even the last ball could have helped Australia when they managed to play that out, the English tail-enders. But in the next test at uh, Tasmania uh, in Hobart, they crumbled again. So, this is a, you know, it's a bad time for India, English cricket and there's been, there's been so much criticism. And finally, even Joe Root came up uh, criticizing the, the structure of English domestic cricket, which is not producing test cricketers. I think that's the big argument being made by players like Ian Botham, Michael Vaughan, all former captains, Alistair Cook, they've all brought this to the fore. Uh, some of them even arguing that you know players are putting IPL and other T20 leagues ahead of country. So I, I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of uh, ramifications of this series. Uh, you know, I read a report that Ben Stokes has already said he won't be part of the mega auction for the IPL. So that's going to be another. We can see some of the effects of the Ashes debacle playing out immediately. Absolutely. Well, another question that's kind of been thrown around is whether Joe Root is the right man to lead England. He has been an outstanding batsman for the most part of the last two or three years. But as a captain, he just lost more or less to India at home and now this. And he just seemed all at sea on the field to be very honest. Is there an alternative? Is someone like maybe a David Malan or even a Stuart Broad an option? Well, I think that's the unfortunate part. I don't think England have options. I mean, Stuart Broad is also, you know, towards the fag end of his career. See, David Malan and the, the other options, they're, they're struggling to retain their places in the team. You can't have a captain who's unable to hold his place in the team. Joe Root, unfortunately for him, is captaining a very, very poor side uh, who might look Okay, dokie when playing in English conditions, but you know, just completely below par wherever they play, whether it's in the subcontinent or in Australia. Uh, so it, 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 these are tough times. I mean, you could strip Joe Root of the cop- captaincy, but who do you get in? It was easier than during the uh, for for white ball cricket because you had somebody like Ian Morgan to take away. I think somewhere the English cricket administration is also being accused, and justifiably or not, it's difficult for us to say that they paid too much attention to white ball cricket where they've done extremely well and forgot about red ball cricket where they're doing terribly. Well, that's another team that needs some serious rebuilding. Meanwhile, speaking of rebuilding, there is an under-19 World Cup that's just kicked off in the Caribbean and maybe a few of these teams would be served well looking there for some immediate replacements. Have you been following this uh, tournament yet, Ayaz? I have, but actually I was following the West Indies versus Ireland series, the, the ODI series, where Ireland actually... Pulled off a terrific win. Uh, so, you know, they've, they've proved... See, these teams, Ireland and Scotland and Afghanistan, they're left to always try and prove themselves against the, the better known teams, not necessarily the better teams on current form. But I think this performance by Ireland against West Indies should actually uh, inspire the ICC and other countries to play them more often. Also Afghanistan, especially in white ball cricket, because that's when you can get these teams to come up you know, rise up the ranks and get better at the game and make the sport more riveting. Where the Under-19 World Cup is concerned, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bit of a time difference problem. But uh, in the Under-19 scenario, largely it has become, if you look at the record over the last 10, 12 years, 15 years, it's, you know, the, the subcontinent teams have been dominating, especially India and Pakistan. Uh, every now and then you come up with a strong performance by New Zealand or Australia. I'd be interesting, interested in seeing actually 
the under 19 team of the west indies starting to do well it, it would show some kind of a revival in caribbean cricket or say bangladesh or you know stuff like that the fancy teams yes but the unfancy teams if they start doing well it shows that the health of the sport is improving well absolutely let's hope that that happens and we'll have more from the caribbean next week as uh, a lot of the major teams just kick off their campaigns from one saga to another there's another ball game that has been suffering over the past week we did speak a lot about the novax saga as it played out and the final outcome is he has been deported we don't yet know whether that means he'll be unable to return to australia for 3 years as the law states uh there is also word out now from the french open that if he's unvaccinated he will not be permitted to play vaccination or not do you think this was handled well ayas with the top player in the world yeah I, i think look the whole situation was handled terribly by all parties concerned especially the australian open administration the victoria government uh, and and novak himself and let me explain one thing is that the aussie uh, open people had frankly no business to waive the the vaccination condition for for dokovic and which actually made him go there but how can you exempt one player when for every other player it has become mandatory to have you know to have taken the jab so that was bad form now you can't obviously undermine or insult the number one player but you also want the number one player in the world to understand that all other players have come jab that's the situation the world over and what example are you holding out if you go there and you demand that you know the australian government is not allowing you and you say i'll fight it legally which is his right of course but you're not setting a great example so i think what has happened is uh, you know is is just that it's become you know a, a vaudeville show but with not reflecting well on any of the parties concerned including finally the australian government and now what has happened is the australian government says going against their own uh, you know position that if you're deported you can't come back for 3 years they've told him you can come next year if you're jabbed you know so they don't want to obviously lose out on star value or star power but if you're so flexible if you're going to be bending and unbending then you're i think you're not sending out a good signal so i would hold all the parties involved in this uh, guilty of misdemeanor absolutely and more than just setting an example about vaccination or not what novak has shown a lot of people is as a star you could throw a tantrum and possibly get away with it which i think is worse than what he was just trying to pull off here as being unvaccinated and risking the entire tournament i mean he has accepted he was recently positive and to turn up here and then risk everyone else who is vaccinated i just think that's irresponsible absolutely it was look we went there but he maybe immediately he should have understood what the ramifications are how grave the situation is and called off called it off put his hands up and said okay i'll decide not to play now or i'll make a decision and then we'll see what happens later but what his absence has actually done is just on history put rafael nadal as the top favorite followed by a few of the brigade the new brigade that we've always spoken about maybe this is the year where you either have medvedev win his second grand slam after the us open or a new champion a first time grand slam winner let's hope that that happens there's already been some outstanding games as we uh, record this episode and we'll have a lot more from australia on next week's episode meanwhile in india the indian open turned out to be a great 
outing for all the Indian players concerned. Well, almost all. Uh, Lakshya Sen beat world champion Lo Kyan Yu in straight sets. And I think that was an outstanding effort from him. Did you get a, get a chance to catch any of that action, Ayaz? I did. And I be, that's largely because Lakshya Sen has been in my sights. I've heard so, many, so much about him and all good things from guys like Viren Raskina. Uh, I, think, I think he's part of the OGQ project. Or he's part of the Prakash Padukone Center of Excellence, certainly. Uh, so Prakash Padukone and Vimal Kumar have worked with the guy. He joined them as a nine-year-old. And here he is beating the top player in the world. So he's come a long way. And I think Indian badminton needed this you know, boost because there have been some setbacks in the recent past. If you look at, especially in the women's section, where uh, you know even Sindhu has not been getting into the podium places or not winning titles. Uh, Saina... Age is catching up with her, and you've got then the attention shifted to the men's section, where thankfully they put they've been putting up far better shows uh, than earlier, and this is a crowning, this is a icing on the cake. Lakshmi's the way he's played, absolutely. And to to top it all, we had a doubles champion in Chirak Shetty. Uh, and uh, Satvik Sairaj Ranki Reddy, who beat Hendra Setiawan and Muhammad Hassan, who were fancied and uh, by the admission of both Chirag and Satvik, were their idols. So Chirag and Satvik have been on the fringes of uh, the badminton world. They had a good outing in Tokyo, where they were the only ones to actually beat the eventual gold medal winners. But this time, they finally come good. And what do you think this means for the men's game in India? I think it breathes fresh life and fresh hope into badminton in India. Uh, I think that badminton has become a huge sport. It's very popular. There's decent money coming in because you need sponsorship and you need people to get livelihood. And I think this is spur on more juniors to start, you know, youngsters to start looking at badminton as an, uh, you know, as a sport to pursue. It's not, you don't necessarily have to be only a cricketer to earn a livelihood and to do well for yourself and for the country. Absolutely. Well, here's wishing them more success in the future and we'll definitely follow their careers very, very closely. Moving away from these sports, it's time to get Somil Arora on the show. Hey, Somil, let's get a wrap of what's happening around the world of football. Hi, folks. This is turning out to be quite an interesting week in the world of football because Premier League just had another match week and it was full of some topsy-turvy fixtures. But There is a more important story to discuss and that is the FIFA Best Awards. Essentially, FIFA's version of the Ballon d'Or. And the big question that you might have on your mind might be, well, who's won the best men's player of the year this year? Was it Messi? Was it Lewandowski? Was it someone else? Well, it was Robert Lewandowski finally getting that award. And many said that he should have gotten the Ballon d'Or as well. And I kind of agree with that because his performances were better than Messi in this whole year. But he's got the best award by FIFA and it's totally deserving. The way he's played this year for Bayern Munich and for Poland, this guy is on another level. And this just means that Lewandowski's legacy keeps on growing. And that is tremendous for a striker who's often not recognized on the same level as someone like Messi or Ronaldo. So that becomes his second consecutive best men's player of the year award in a row. And that just goes to show how much Lewandowski is evolving like fine wine. Because at this stage, he's not in his, what, mid-20s, is he? He's 33. So to see this happen such late in his career, tremendous, tremendous stuff. 
The best women's player of the year was Alexia Puteras for Barcelona. She was tremendous in this whole year. But the other awards, who was the best men's coach of this season? Thomas Tuchel for Chelsea. Of course it was. The way he won the championship for Chelsea deserved huge amount of credit. But things have spiraled out of control, unfortunately, for Chelsea. More on that in a second when we come to the Premier League. But he was your coach of the year and the men's side of things. Edward Mendy of Chelsea was also awarded big time when he got the best men's goalkeeper of the year. But the award that I want to really focus on is the Fan Award and the Fair Play Award. So that, that becomes awards, right? I've, I've kind of gone wrong on my grammar, but it doesn't matter. Hey, uh, Thing is, these two awards were given to the Danish national team and the medical team. That's the Fair Play Award. And the Fan Award was given to the Denmark and Finland fans. This is for what happened to Christian Eriksen back at the Euros during the Denmark and Finland game where he suffered uh, a big heart attack of sorts. And eventually the fans really supported them. The players and the staff were immediately on the scene to help Christian. And luckily Christian Eriksen is alive and kicking and he's even going to play football. So that is some amazing stuff to see FIFA recognize this so, so well. And a special award was also given to Cristiano Ronaldo to honor his legacy. But things are not done yet with Ronaldo, is it? It's not, it's not the end. It's not like a lifetime achievement. There are still things for Ronaldo to do. And that is where we get back to the Premier League. And that's where we speak about what Manchester United have been doing lately. And they drew to Aston Villa. And it's not just any Aston Villa anymore, is it? It's Aston Villa with Philip Coutinho. And he scored on debut. Eventually getting that late equaliser and getting Villa to a 2-2 draw with Man United. It was a big result for them. And United was sluggish, sloppy. There's already reports of Ralph Ragnick facing some backlash within the fans. So you can imagine how things are going really wrong at Man United back there. But things are going even worse for West Ham. They've lost 2-3 to Leeds United in a stunner that you should watch if you've got the time. And then eventually Everton are suffering. They're in need of a new manager after Rafa Benitez was sacked. Man City versus Chelsea though. That is the one match where things really escalated. Chelsea looked hapless in a way. They they just couldn't get anything on goal. Only had four shots to City's 11. City were dominant, not just in terms of possession, but the way they had their fingers jammed into the game where Chelsea couldn't quite get much done. De Bruyne eventually scored the winner in a 1-0 fixture late on in the 70th minute. But that's the point, right? Chelsea looked toothless. Even with Lukaku back in there and seemingly rejuvenated after this whole transfer fiasco that happened with him, They just weren't quite there. And City have escalated themselves way up on the Premier League table. So it might be a good day for Thomas Tuchel for winning the Best Coach of the Year award. But things look sour for Chelsea. Because now, believe it or not, they are 13 points behind Man City. Where were they? I think Chelsea were ahead just a couple of weeks ago. Time flies and performances have also flown for Chelsea. Where they've got only one win in their last five Premier League games. For Liverpool, it's, it's slightly better, but it's, it's not the best, is it? They've got two in their last five. They are still nine points behind Chelsea, which, uh, behind Man City, which can be six points if they win their next fixture. But things are just looking really sharp for Man City. And they are increasing their lead. They're way above everyone else. Sky's blue, I suppose. The sky really is blue in the world of the Premier League. But folks, this one, what, what, what a remarkable week of football with Lewandowski once again being honoured with the Premier League once again producing some dramatic fixtures. I wonder what's in store next. We may not have any awards, but we have big fixtures. 
such as Southampton versus Manchester City to see if City can become even better and add another points advantage into their hall. We have Leicester versus Tottenham. That's going to be a blockbuster. We are potentially going to see a clash between West Ham and Man United. And then Chelsea versus Tottenham as well. All of that on the next episode of Sports Weekly. Thanks so much for that, Somil. Let's hope that there is far more action than cancellations happening around the Premier League and other sports. But as always, health first. You've been listening to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. We'll be back next week. Keep listening, keep playing. And once again, thank you, Ayaz, for taking us through the world of sport. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. Pleasure always to be on this show and we'll catch up next week. Sports Weekly.